<laughs> You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. It's time for another Digital Noise episode. Yes, I'm like... Digital Noise. The moment I even start, like, even faintly might be singing, whatever Aaron's on, he's like, oh yeah, let's do this thing. (laughs) Ooh, daddy. He's like... Uh, I'm into the music, baby. You're like my band leader or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your backup singer. Get it right. Right? You're like a a cross between Ed McMahon and whoever that guy is, who's the head guy from The Roots on... on <laughs> you mean Jean, Jean, from Colbert? Yeah, Jean Baptiste. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, I think because he's like the band leader, but he also kind of acts like a sidekick. But you also have more of an Ed McMahon thing going on because you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> God damn it! I hate that you're right, you bastard. That's Aaron, who's back after uh, a brief absence. Yes, because real life got really complicated. Well, shit got crazy. My new job got crazy. My wife and both of my kids got Went crazy. Oh, sorry. No, uh, no. no. <laughs> it like, would have been like, a more interesting story. To be uh, it was like, like we legit got about to go to the hospital and put on ventilator COVID. Um, super scary. And, and I ended up the only sick person in a house with four infected, or the only not sick person in a house with four infected people. I've seen that horror movie. And basically taking care of everyone for like three weeks. I I emailed my boss the day uh, that my wife got infected and was like, hey, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to be coming into work for a while. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just warn you. And then three weeks later, I showed back up for a half day. (laughs) (laughs) So you never got it? No, never got it. Were you you vaccinated at that point? I I am vaccinated. So you're just one of those people who, like, it bounced right off you. Yeah, I know. I just, I I know that I'm not immune, but part of me, like, wants to think I'm immune. But I'm definitely, like, signing up for a booster shot this weekend. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you, like, (laughs) realize what a bullet you dodged. (laughs) <laughs> I, I both okay. think I'm immune and know that I will give every ounce of drugs that I'm able to take that will prevent me from getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad that you and your family are okay. And Thank I'm you. glad that you're back for another additional noise. I missed mm, having you on here. For a great stack. Like, a stack that's semi-catered to me. So. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in this yeah. stack. And a lot of, like, I was like, when I this stuff started piling up, I was like, man, I hope Aaron's coming back. And right, <laughs> like, at that moment, you were like, hey, I'm ready to come back. I'm like, woo 
And that's because, well, let's start off here with an Arrow title, which I know Aaron is a big fan of the Arrow stuff anyway, and an Arrow Japanese title, which Aaron is a big fan of anyway. Just a little bit. An Arrow Japanese box set title with lots of giant monsters and shit in it. This just has Aaron written all over it, and that title is the Yokai. I want to say Yokai. Yokai, man. It's all... Are you okay? I mean, let's be honest. I'm from Texas. I'm pretty sure it's Yokai. It's Yokai. It could be Yokai, and I wouldn't know. Uh, But uh, this is this particular set, Yokai Monsters, is a trilogy of the films uh, from the 19, late 1960s, plus a fourth film, which was made many years later by the great and super weird Takashi Miike, which was called The Great Yokai War, which is what, uh, which I guess is what the original title of the second movie yeah, actually it, was. It's kind of a loose remake of the second movie. What's right. weird, though, is that the idea that these movies are a trilogy and then there's They're the Mickey movie yeah. is kind of fun because the Mickey movie has as much to do with the mainline series as any of them all. Right. It's more like the Vengeance series where, yes... There are a bunch of monsters in all of the movies, and the monsters are in all of the movies. But aside from that, there is no similarities whatsoever between them. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, the monsters. Because each one... Like when you when we were talking about doing the set together, you were like, "Oh, this is just like the the uh, Domijin, yeah, uh, where they're all very similar." I don't agree with you because I don't think they are. Domijin are literally the same movie over and over again. That's like, true, beat for beat. These are like each one has got a totally different plot. The the first three are you know they're feudal Japan, so a lot of people walking around in, in kimonos and shit, <laughs> samurai swords, uh, and then the fourth one is modern day, but. You know, I mean, the main crossover here is just that these monsters, these ghosts, as it were, which are somewhere between ghosts and nature spirits and demons, but not sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. And sometimes even the bad ones like fight on the side of good because ultimately they're all on the same team. It's like it's it's the Japanese equivalent of the Fae. Uh, it's just, yes, it's, yes. it's their spirits. And, and you see these characters show up in a ton of stories and a ton of movies and TV shows throughout the Japanese culture because they're relatively iconic and a part of their lore or a part of their mythos or a non-offensive way to say that, hopefully. Um, <laughs> and like, I slightly have to defend my statement of they're like the Diamond movies, which, no, fuck it. I'm going to walk it back because you're right. They're not. Yeah, th- those but, movies are the uh, the same movie. What it was <laughs> is just like two of the three movies very much have this flow of there's a human story going on. And then, oh, by the way, the monsters kind of show up every once in a while. Whereas like the other there is a, the second movie, I believe, involves a shape shifting vampire demon god from 10,000 years prior who comes back to take over the world. <laughs> that is I think the standout of the actual series of all four of them, Uh, because it as the movie began, I sat there going, you know, it would be a really cool idea to watch a movie from the point of view of the feudal serfs uh, in like a samurai's uh, or a, a Japanese lord's home. And what do you do when this man you've pledged your loyalty to is obviously fucking evil and demonic and not human anymore? And that's what the movie is about. And it's a surprisingly good, thrilling movie for a movie that was made 
60 years ago. So I think you described this. I can't remember what you said, what it was mixed with, but you were like, it's Clyde Barker's Nightbreed mixed with something. And I was like, oh, huh? Uh, and then I saw, I was like, oh yeah, this is totally like a Japanese Nightbreed where like, if you ever seen that with like this collection of totally bizarre monsters that aren't necessarily bad, but you, you know, they're not going to be your best friend either. You my, know, they're not all good either. My that, favorite that is end up the, being kind of on the right side of things normally. Well, they're, they're morality tales, all of them. Yeah. The monsters are the great moral equalizers who are like, you, villain, have been a dick, and so we're going to come stop you. I mean, and the monsters are just so creative. And like, oh, the, the, the most, like, recognizable one, I think, to the people, cause it's just so, what the fuck? Is there's like a, a living umbrella with, with like a, a big tongue, a big that, tongue licks that licks people. Yeah. And that, like, floats around. And that's in all of these. And it is know. such a part of the, I, of the, culture of the movie that the uh, soldiers play pranks on each other by slapping pieces of wet tofu to their face <laughs> to trick him into thinking they're being licked. Right. But there, there's also like the turtle who's missing the top of his head. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's the snake ladies where their heads distend yeah, the, and the, they have the 30 foot long boa snake, le, snake necks. Yeah. Which is, Actually, really well handled in the '60s stuff, which is all using practical, of course, because yeah. there was no other option. It's all like um, shadow but trickery. Yeah, yeah, and it's neat. The, you can see what tricks they're pulling, but it's you're like, wow, that's that's a cool idea. It's like theater trickery that they're yeah. using for this. Then, of course, Mike is just like, well, fuck that. I'm gonna CG this. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, and you even see like in the especially in the Mike one there's characters who are not really traditional y yokai but are more like sort of urban legend horror characters like there's a slit mouthed woman is in this you see oh. and stuff you're like oh wow those are not traditional yokai but ones that I know from my experience with Japanese horror is because he turns his movie into like the expendables of yeah. Japanese spirit movies. And there's literally hundreds of them in his. And, like he he turns it up to eleven. He does yeah. exactly what Mike does in a Mike movie, except makes it kind of family friendly. And there's a sh the, even though that came out in what the '90s, some point there's a, he I, made a sequel this year that hasn't reached our shores yet. I know. I'm really excited. I I, I, I saw I the original too. when it first came out because that was right when I was discovering Mike. And like this and Zebra Man existed around the same time, and it still blows my mind. Yeah, what a weird world that we live in that we can that these movies are available to us in this mega like box set with all these bonus features, and the, the people are paying a hundred bucks for this thing, yeah. and and they're probably going to make a lot of money off and, of it. And this is insane. When I was like even tw you know ten years ago. I would never have pictured this being something you could sell in America. Like, 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 let's be honest. Of the four of them, two of them are good to great movies. Yeah, I would say and, uh, 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 Mike's and the Vampire Lord is what I'm going to call it. Uh, yeah. The Hundred Spooks, I, I think mean, is what it is. I, yeah, the, the middle one, which yeah. Mike's is a remake of. But I really like the third one here a lot, too, which is, which is. is more of a... More of a sort of samurai, like they're chasing something that feels more traditional samurai film, but there's actually a good story. The problem with the first one, it's like kind of fumbling with the same thing, but there's no real story. That's the one that feels the most like Damagen, where the, you're like, okay. The first one is clearly a thrown together movie where they kind of had an idea and you can see that they were more creatively comfortable as the series goes along. They get a lot more confident with using the monsters. In the third one, the monsters are kind of like, Wait, is it the second or the Se third second one? one where, is the really good where the one. monsters are like the main characters, but yeah, like second one. Yeah, the first one's the only iffy one. And honestly, if you dig any kind of 
Japanese samurai or monster movies and you're okay with it being a little more goofy and family friendly, this is a worthy set to check out. Oh, completely. And like I said, there's actually a good amount of bonus features, although the bulk of them are really on the disc with the Great Yokai War, the Meikei, which is just loaded with bonus stuff. By the way, did you realize that the girl, I'm blanking on her name right now, um, who is... Uh, who plays this sort of white-haired uh, yokai who works for the bad guy in Great Yokai War? That's the same girl from Kill Bill that had like the uh, the ball on a chain, you know? Oh, the, shit. Yeah, that's the same actress. I did not realize that. <laughs> and a lot of like, I, there's a lot of Tarantino like that you I mean, can see that he took little tiny bits from this I mean, here I mean, and there. That makes sense. She worked in Battle Royale too, and and I know that Mikay likes Fukasaki, so yeah. Uh, so anyway, there is a lot of bonus features. The only really big one on the previous three is Hiding in Plain Sight, A Brief History of Yokai, which is really interesting. 41-minute history on the literally just the concept to try and explain to non-Japanese speakers, like, this is what these are, and also they're not, and it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> just go with it. <laughs> just go with it. But the Mike set is uh, is just filled with... Go- it has this little adorable one in there. I'm just like, oh, I want a stuffed one so bad. Oh, my God. Oh, so you cute. mean the little, like, main character yeah, who befriends? Yeah. Yeah, he's little, I'm su- I'm such a sucker for shit like that, man. I really am. It's like, I mean, I love me like Miyazaki films. A little so. sad and forgotten too. <laughs> yes, because it's Mike. Uh, so there's a commentary by Tom Mess. There's interviews with the cast uh, with pretty much everybody, all the main cast here, each for about five or six minutes. Uh, Japanese with English subtitles. There's interview with the crew, including 12 minutes with Takashi Mike. Uh, there's a uh, uh, two shorts called Short Drama of Yokai, which are like public access level extra bonus shorts. <laughs> one called Whose Hotcakes Are These? And and the other one's called Who's the Most Annoying? With a bunch of people in bad yokai masks running around like a public park, like playing out these mini stories. And it's really, I mean, it's oh, so terrible. It's I kind didn't of get to watch that. I kind of wish I had seen that one. But what's good is there's another one called Another Story of Kawatora, who's the guy, the sort of Jap- turtle man mm-hmm. guy who's super goofy. And those are kind of fun. I mean, they're really pointed at kids, but it's like like they tr- they're trying to throw a party in one of them in their cave. And they're like, well, how are we going to invite anyone to a party? It's at a cave. This is dumb. <laughs> and they're kind of cute. And they're actually the actors from the film and everything oh, and using cool. the effects. So you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. There's a uh, World Yokai Conference, which is at 13 minutes, like a Comic-Con Q&A with, um, with Mike and other people there. Uh, there's a couple of promotional events, like announcement event, press conferences, uh, scenes from the premiere. There is a 27-minute documentary uh, that is from the Venice Film Festival where this screened, and then lots of image galleries across all these discs. But yeah, this is a really a solid, solid Yeah, if you know nothing about this stuff, but you tend to like really weird, but also kind of goofy, funny, even cutesy Japanese stuff, then you got to check this out. Yeah. Like, all, all four of them are worth seeing. I mean, like, honestly, if, if over the years you seem to have a similar taste that I do, you should watch this. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like, Aaron is my favorite digital noise critic, then yeah. Go check it out. All right, so we're going to move back to modern day and to America and talk about The Suicide Squad and not by about, you know, the previous 2016 one, because who wants to still talk about that? But Uh, the one that sadly didn't even make, I don't even think it made half as much money in theaters as the previous one did, partially because, you know, the IP was kind of burned a little bit, but also mainly, I think, because of COVID. This also had a day and date on HBO, which has still been kind of like, how well is that working? Does anybody I mean, know? It's HBO seems to be very happy with the way their stuff has performed so far. Like, uh, at least looking at the numbers that they've generated, 
it was it was enough that it got Dune a sequel and that King Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong worked out well. Yeah. So all the shit that I've cared about has done right. well. So as long so as that goes I'm okay. Well. <laughs> but I mean, this went well enough that HBO greenlit uh, a uh, James Gunn television series, yes. like based a spinoff called Peacemaker, which is actually coming out pretty soon. And I'm I'm almost a little sad about uh, because. And I don't want to spoil the actual movie, but I really thought that the Peacemaker show was going to be taking place before Suicide Squad. Oh, that it was a prequel? And not after. So you didn't watch the mid-credits scenes of this movie? I didn't realize that the the one involving them existed until watching it for this review. All right. Well, so, like, I've already given my review of this. We, We did a full theater review, and I... Really, really like this a lot. I think this is the high point probably for the DC modern films, uh, ever since Man of Steel. I think this is by far the best one, by like a sizable margin, the best one. But I also tend to be more partial to stuff with a good sense of humor. I, I don't tend to like the super, super grim, darky stuff unless it's extremely well made and tight. I'm looking at you, Christopher Nolan's first two films. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I thought this was just terrific and funny, and uh, James Gunn was perfect for it. I'm also glad he's going back to Guardians of the Galaxy as well, because that's a different kind of goofy funny. But this one was like, well, what if Gunn was allowed to do whatever the fuck See, he wanted to and just went hard, crazy R? And uh, I've had mixed experience with that in the past in his pre-big budget film days, but this worked for me. I think that... Uh... I am going to surprise no one and say basically the same. But, uh, <laughs> so this is one of my favorite comic book originated films that I've seen so far. And I think it might be my favorite script of guns. Hmm. Cause, cause that's really the high point of this movie. Like the actors do an amazing job. The effects are good. He shoots it very well. But what kind of hit me the most was how he has made a big budget, nasty R rated violent, uh, action horror comedy movie that is entirely character motivated. Mm-hmm. And every character has a quality arc that changes and shifts. They have honest and sincere moments. You, nobody is a good guy. And every time, but, but sorry, let me back that up. Mm-hmm. Nobody is a good guy, but they all have not necessarily sympathetic stories, but they're real people. Uh, where like they have feelings, they're not just mustache twirling villains, and like the nuance and the level of character moments that each of them have really just mwah, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. And it's uh, not just a you know a brutal like and very dark at points action movie on the darker side of DC stuff. It's also kind of spoofing those films while it's doing it. It's it's endearing. You know? uh, it's about how, no matter how shitty you are, you're still a human person with feelings. <laughs> uh, and it's about confronting trauma. Like, like the, the emotional climax of the movie is about someone facing their childhood fears, uh, and dealing with like horrifying shit that they had to deal with as a kid in the most hysterical way, and, visual way possible. Like he even, and I think I, I'm pretty sure I texted you this too. Like there's a point in the climax of the movie where they stop the movie dead and go like basically turn to the camera and go all right everyone just so you know this movie is about damaged people deserving love and compassion too good okay now let's go back to the kaiju fight okay (laughs) and yes there is a kaiju fight and it 
works. We it finally works so see well. live action uh, Starro, Starro the Conqueror for the first time, although a very different interpretation of Starro the Conqueror, certainly. And, uh, you know, I presumably not necessarily the last version since, you know, yeah. the Starro reproduces like crazy. Well, so. And <laughs> they, they do a good job, too, of in, in a movie where nobody is a good guy and where there is indeed, yes, Starro the Conqueror, uh, they manage to hit home the fact that let's be honest the real villain of the movie is amanda waller and kind of the u.s government yeah and like just it's it's a complex violent funny movie it's it's perfect this is like five out of five for me i loved it Uh, it's so much fun i i think well i'm not quite at the five out of five i'm pretty close um, I've seen this three times now and I like it more each time I see Agreed. it and there's so much and each time you kind of focus more on a different character where you're like oh man that now that's my favorite character or just lines like I can't stop laughing about <laughs> about the whole why would a why would there be a beach full of dicks who knows why Mad Men do what they do <laughs> that, just, my, that my, just slayed me <laughs> but my, my favorite is the the show off like nobody likes to show off yeah unless what you're showing off is dope as fuck <laughs> He agrees. He's like, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a very funny movie and very cool. And the effects are all good. And you should see it. And it's available on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. We'll throw this out there. Um, If you don't like violence, as my mother did, don't watch this movie. My mother made it exactly 12 minutes in. And I can tell you that. Because he talks about a character turn he wanted to have at the 12 minute mark. Yeah. Uh, and she made it that far and went, this isn't for me. I'm yeah. going to go now. It's deeply graphic. Yes. Like it is. Yeah, it's, I would say it's, isn't it, it the bloodiest and goriest of any of the DC films, right? I mean, like, easily, right? Y- it, it, yes, w- without any shadow of a doubt, it's far bloodier like, even than the new Snyder, well, Snyder uh, Justice League. Right, I mean, the previous, the previous one was PG-13, this one is, is actually rated R, and yeah. boy, does it go, good, we're gonna do whatever it, the fuck we want. It might be the most violent kind superhero film. And that's even factoring in like Logan and Deadpool. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's probably of akin to Deadpool in terms of actual on-screen gore, but some of the, I think violent moments here are more disturbing than the ones in there. Cause that one is played almost those Deadpool movies are played all, but exclusively for laughs. Yeah. And this one actually has pathos in it, you know, characters that you're like, no, I didn't want them to die. And they I die know. badly. Like, <laughs> or, or, or they'll have like a beautiful hero moment. And yeah. then that wonderful moment of just, Oh, look at the, Oh, they're oh, dead. They're dead. <laughs> uh, so this is available on 4k. Now it does in fact look terrific. If you saw it on HBO, then you've already seen it on 4k, but you know, it's, it wasn't going to stay on there. So yeah. like, uh, now you get your own home copy of it, which comes with the audio commentary with James Gunn is always being very entertaining, but also informative on his commentary. There's eight deleted and extended scenes, about 17 and a half minutes. That I thought were well worth watching. There's a fun gag reel about 10 and a half minutes, which is pretty long for a gag reel mm-hmm. to be fair. And these guys all clearly had a great time making this movie together. I've seen every James Gunn set seems to be just a thing yeah. of joy. So, uh, bringing King shark to life. I can't believe they got Sylvester Stallone to come in and voice this character. <laughs> But I, now I can't imagine anybody else, Just right? No, no. Uh, gotta love the squad. A brief history of the team told by John Ostrander, the comic writer who invented the characters, uh, along with James Gunn and others. Uh, the way of the gun. Uh, cast and crew members basically sucking James Gunn's dick. Um, not literally. I know you could, with everything we've said about this movie, you'd be like, Jesus I mean, Christ, I know you said this is I, was I R, be but, surprised. <laughs> uh, scene breakdowns, which is featurettes hi- highlighting specific scenes from the feature uh, with like, you know, looking at how they did it type thing. Starro, it's a freaking kaiju. 
looking at the FX of how they did that. And then retro trailers, they didn't actually include the real teasers or trailers. They made brand new ones for this <laughs> in the theme of as if it was a different genre of movie. They made one that was a war movie, one that was a horror movie, and one that was a buddy cop movie. And it fits for all of those. It, it does indeed. All right. We are going to wait, move wait. on. What? Rewind. One what? last thing. Buddies. Was it uh, Peacemaker and Bloodshot? Shit, I don't remember now. You you had you grabbed Damn it a while ago. So. <laughs> I, I will think, one of the things this movie did that I wasn't expecting it to do is make me love a B-movie character as B as Bloodshot, mm-hmm. who I had never even heard of before, and is the first time I've seen a quote-unquote technomancer done in any kind of movie or a show where I'm like, I fucking buy that. That is a scary, awesome power. <laughs> Technomancers are cool. Right? I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. He just randomly pulls shit out and it becomes guns. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know that much about that character, so. Uh, it wasn't, was it Bloodshot? Is that it was name? Bloodshot. I can't remember. Because there's a Bloodshot also in, Vin, in, uh, yeah, in, in the, in the, in the, the, Vin the Valiant Diesel universe. Play. Yeah. But no, his, his Bloodshot and I, and he also legitimately did shoot Superman with a kryptonite bullet in his first appearance in the comics. Whoa. Like, like, Superman lands and he turns around and just shoots him point blank in the stomach. Jesus. I can't believe Superman is still alive. Oh my God. How many I mean, times has he been shot with kryptonite or stabbed with kryptonite? I mean, it's obviously not as effective as we may have been led to believe. That's all I'm saying. Like, if it was like he had a peanut allergy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, he would have been dead so many times. Though. I love the idea of Superman going up against his greatest arch nemesis. The, just throw peanut butter the Mr. Peanut guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He, he wants to attack him, but he can't get close because right. his uh, his uh, allergies will act up, and he goes into anaphylactic shock. Lois Lane has a utility belt just filled with those like pens. kryptonite <laughs> epipen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, we're, speaking of Superman, we are talking next about Superman and Lois, the CW series about. Superman and Lois. Uh, but this is not like Lois and Clark, where it's like, oh, it's when they first met. Rather, this fast forwards to, in the comics, kind of where they more or less are, Which... where it's like, these guys have been married for a while. They have two kids, you know, they, and here they're teenage like, kids. yeah, teenage kids. Here they're like, well, fuck it. We're going to move back to Smallville after, after Clark's mom died. He's, they're both like, this is too much in the city for these kids. This isn't working. The key here being, unlike the comics, they haven't told the kids that he's Superman. They're still yeah. keeping that secret, which is, you know, obviously going to be a problem and is something that happens literally at the beginning of the first season of every CW show. It's a plot in all of them. It, it, it has, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can't tell them. Sometimes it'll go till the second season. Thankfully, they only get like maybe eight episodes into this one before they're like, fine, fuck it. Okay. They know that. that no, no. It's, it's the first episode. No, they don't tell them in the first episode. Yeah, they do. I don't think so. Yeah. Be- I thought it was further on be- because than that. The, because the first episode ends with the teenage son. Okay, it might be in episode two. Because the, <laughs> the, the teenage son, the emo one accidentally blows up oh, no, uh, you're right. a yeah. thing in the first episode with this laser vision. Yeah. Because th- that's the thing is the teenage kids are kind of getting superpowers, but not not full-on Kryptonian superpowers. Right. Well, or at least one of them is. Yeah. Which the other one is now. And it's like the one that's not popular in school, <laughs> yeah. and the one that is popular in school it's like is now has cause to be jealous yeah. of the other one, which is an interesting dynamic. Well, and I was like, okay, I, I don't remember. In the comics, I thought they only had the one kid. I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I've I not read the comics ever yet. But, but uh, they do a good job of focusing evenly on the kids and Lois and Clark. And I think that they do a good job of telling the story of 
Superman and Lois being parents and mm-hmm. trying to deal with the things they are doing and dealing with real, honest to God, adult shit. Like, how, do, where do we move and where do we live and how do we focus on our career versus each other versus saving the world? Uh, and I think that they tow a good line of balance between being a teen drama, let's be honest, and then a DC superhero show. I mean, I- I liked a lot the first couple episodes of this. I was really with this. I'm like, yeah, this, cause I kind of got burned out on all the uh, CW sh- stuff. There was a while I'm like, I love all of it, but you know, it's like 22 episodes a season yeah. and they start repeating yourself and they start getting dumber and stretching and you're like, okay, enough. And I just gave up. I was like, I'm not watching any of those, but everyone was like, this is like the best one. I'm like, fine, I'll watch it. And it's a lot shorter, which is yeah. nice. You know, it's like half the size of one of those seasons. Yay. And yeah, ex- please do that. I would go maybe consider watching all the stuff again if there was like 10 episodes a season. Uh, Come agree. on. I, I still uh, maintain we need three season shows and yeah. then stop. And then and be done and move character. on to some other characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent agreed. Treat them more like miniseries than yeah. long running, like like um, what do you call them? Uh, yeah, miniseries comic books than than like long running things. Like, yeah, oh, it's twelve issues and it's done. Anyway, I think where this started to go, and I'm not going to go so far as say off the rails, but like okay, here we go for me is when it starts getting into like who the big bad is of the season, and like oh, there's a dark Superman universe. I mean, we'll get more into dark Superman later in the show as well, but like I tend to not like. That re- over reliance on oh it's this this he- hero but he's bad like okay. I agree and also I am so fucking sick of like look Krypton blew up right I mean it was cool for a while to have like oh a couple people got away other than Superman the great but now they've like set up this system where they can pretty much anytime they want on the show just go boop we've got this magic button that we can press and bring back any Kryptonian we want just in the body of somebody else I'm like yawn yeah. <laughs> I agree. As much as I enjoy some of the still alive Kryptonian arcs we've gotten over the years, I'm kind of done with it. Yeah, it was and, and I am. I'm kind of done with evil superheroes too. Like yeah. I, I just I want something I mean, different you can, and new. You can I've do seen it, it enough. You can do it well. Great, and especially if it's just a one-off, terrific. But like. If this is going to be a running thing throughout the show, then I'm like, oh, please well, stop. Like, that's the Berlanti thing. They do a lot of multiverse jumping, and they always have. Yeah, and I tend to like multiverse stuff, but this is like, once, it, once again, like multiverse stuff is cool, but find something different to do then. But what if this character was yeah. bad? You know, yeah. I, I like it when they go the reverse. They're like, oh, what if this bad character was good? I like agree. Captain Cold. Good Captain yes. Cold was like one of my favorite things ever. I enjoy character. Harley Quinn as a sudden good guy. And again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is admittedly more than watchable. If you kind of like the CW stuff, this is one of the better seasons I've seen from coming out of the CW in a while. The shows from them tend to start stronger than they finish for sure but i also think that if you're if you're adult with if you're an adult with teenage kids uh, like this is going to be a good middle ground show because there is enough angsty teenage drama to supply the angstiest of angsty teens most certainly but like you know clark and lois are a real honest to god couple that try to make things work and that story works too yeah uh, there are also some bonus features. There's Superman and Lois Legacy of Hope, which is, you know, a featurette that's like, I mean, you, it was literally on the CW app as well. Yeah, is it it's about just how the, finally there's a better story for Superman and Lois it's than just, the one with Dean Kane? It's just an introduction to the series, basically, because <laughs> there's a lot of backstory here that they're real quick, like, okay, real quick, here's who Superman is, here's who Lois Lane is, here's what happened, now they fuck, they have kids. <laughs> uh, there's... Su- <laughs> 
I mean, it was a little longer. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> Superman alien spirit, which is more or less the same thing, uh, th- th- but following more on Lois Lane and the histories of that character, who is definitely started as a very boring, you know, oh, help, I'm a woman in Jeopardy, and has become a really full-fledged, super interesting character yeah. of the years with her, you know, very much her own stories and her own, like, Clark wouldn't even think about fucking with her once she set her foot down on something. Nope. Never Alone, Heroes and Allies, which takes a look specifically at the birth of the sidekick in comic books, which is okay. Okay. Uh, and then there's the <laughs> Superman and Lois fandom panel, because, man, they, DC really wants you to know about this fandom thing. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's, the it's thing. like the It's their They're, fetch. You're like, God on. damn it. God damn <laughs> you, you Chris. Say that? You beat me by two and a half seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like calm down dc fandom isn't gonna happen but i guess i guess it's happened so i don't know i mean it oh, just no. felt, when they were announcing it was like non-stop emails i was getting about it like jesus i blocked Christ. him and just enjoyed the trailers when they hit youtube yeah <laughs> uh there's no deleted scenes um because every episode is given a full one hour extended cut here so if you watch this as it aired these are actually the longer full episodes here oh. than what you saw on television which is interesting so quote never before seen but whatever um yeah uh, I thought overall it was pretty good, but let's move on to some more Superman stuff, which is Superman, the complete animated series, getting re-released again, but this time for the first time on Blu-ray. And just to, I want to be very clear about Superman, the animated series. First off, now this came out on Kids WB in 1996 for about four years till about 2000. This w- was a follow-up to the monstrous success of Batman the Animated Series, which was like obviously a game changer. And WB at that point already had the most successful television animated studio. Like they won the Emmys and shit every single year for their like Looney Tunes shit. I mean, they were huge, yeah. right? So they, well, let's do superheroes. And everybody loved Bruce Timm's look on Batman. Then they were like, well, this is such a hit. We need something else. And like, well, why don't you do Superman? And everyone's like, but that's not, that's like, what are you, uh, you know, Batman, we're like right off the bat, lots of stories had never been done. I mean, shit, they invented Harley Quinn for God's sakes on that show. What can we do with Superman that's interesting? It all, all also been multiple kind of taking it straight iterations of Superman in the past, like live action things. Um, I would argue more so than Batman has ever been taken seriously before that point. Uh, and they were like, where do we go? So they actually decided to, rather than make it dark and grim and gothic, they went light and art deco and decidedly Jack Kirby. I mean, they Jack Kirby the fuck out of this thing. And honestly, for most comics people or most people who love comic book stuff now, I guarantee you most likely your first exposure to the works of Jack Kirby were, was in Superman, the animated series, where it was the first time we'd really seen outside of, you know, really not as huge in the comics at that point, the character of Dark Side and all those characters weren't that big a deal in the books. They were old Kirby New Gods characters. And this is what went, we're going to make this part of the like major narrative now and bring these characters in full time and be, I mean, like Dark Side is the, the overarching big villain, big bad of the whole series. Yeah. Uh, and he's fantastic. And, and you got fucking Michael Ironside voicing him, which is like, <laughs> they were like, I was watching one, there's a brand new extra feature on here and they were like, we couldn't believe we got him. We were like, <laughs> oh my God. He was like the dream get. And he said, yeah. So we're like, what, really? <laughs> well, uh, so 
I was I was of the generation that was shaped by the show. Like this is my Batman and then Superman. The Bruce Tim shows were the my introductions to the characters, truthfully. Right. And like my mental conception of Superman, of Metallo, of uh, Brainiac. fucking Brainiac, of Lobo, of all of those characters, Mister Mitzelblick. Yep. Uh, <laughs> or even God damn it, I. I I can't believe I, Lex Luthor of all the people yeah. I blanked on Lex Luthor, which is the first time Clancy um, Brown voiced him was in here. Yeah. This is the Lex Luthor I think of. I, I think of Lex Luthor as a bald, ethnically ambiguous <laughs> man who is so broad basically Vin Diesel with yeah, Clancy Vin Brown's Diesel voice. A suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Clancy Brown and Vin Diesel don't sound that different. So I'm kind of like, hey, have y'all thought about Vin Diesel as Lex Luthor? Because now that I think about it, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a beautiful show. I love it. And the only thing that I ever really was sad about, and this was even as a kid, is. Although they have a great ending few episodes, they never really got a sense to like truly like end the show is done. Yeah. yeah. But but instead it continues on to Justice League, yeah. which is already out. Which there. is almost even better. Yeah. You yeah. know? I mean like don't I don't want to shit on the show by saying Justice League is better. Justice League is just kinda like that that show you didn't think that could happen. That's well, like, well now let's mix Batman and Superman together into one big show it, and it, add all the rest of the characters you love. It, it's kind of like discussing whether or not like Star Trek two or Star Trek six or Star Trek four is sure. better. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter. They're, they're all, all good. They're all really, they're all under this <laughs> creative like, team that created Batman, the animated series and went on and created all those other shows as well. I mean, they were just really good at what they were doing yeah. and they kept like, they kept hitting like a hundred. I'm really psyched because my son is now getting to be old enough where he can sit down and be patient and enjoy shows that aren't just like throw color at the wall yeah. and have a little bit more story and have an actual arc. And I'm, I'm, he's almost at the point where I can show him Superman. And I'm really happy it's at him uh, high def now. Cause it was, it was only standard def for a while. Yeah. No, I, I still have the old DVD set. Yeah. And yeah. It didn't look great on my bigger screens. I was super excited to get this Blu-ray version of it, which is definitely upgraded and looks yeah. terrific. The, literally the only downside to the set at all is a, like, I kind of like that the older set came with, like, a more of elaborate thing and, like, like physical media things. Like, the, when they re-released Batman the Animated Series on Blu-ray, it was a big set with, like, lots of physical media shit. Like, it was a big deal. This one, it's, like, just a simple Blu-ray, like, yeah. case. There's no physical extra media at all. And they cut out over half of the commentaries on episodes. Now, there was oh. only 11 before, but now there's only four. Now, I don't care. Because I almost never listen to commentaries on television show episodes, right? I mean, only if it's one that in particular, I'm like, this is my favorite TV episode of all time. And even then, you're probably listening to two parts. Yeah, exactly. I want to hear what they say about this scene. Exactly. But uh, I was talking to our buddy Spider Mike, and he was, like, pissed off about it. And I kind of get, like, man, that is such a tiny percentage of the memory on the disc. Why? And it's not like it would have rights issues. I I was like, why would you not include those? Maybe. I mean, like... I, Maybe someone wouldn't sign a contract. But all the other bonus but, features that were on the previous set are here, including a brand new featurette. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, one of them, the Superman Behind the Cape is not here. That was on the previous one. But this new retrospective documentary, 32-minute long one, is uh, 
uh, really, really good. I watched it. I was like, oh, this is nice. It's a nice history that re- of both the character and then getting specifically into, well, here's all the elements we took from those past things and how we designed the show and how we conceived of it with all the, all the, the entire creative cast, Andrea Romano and uh, Bruce Tim and all the big names talking. And I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, this is all you really need to know for yeah. a bonus feature. This gives you all the background that you need, including cool little stuff. Like I didn't know Clancy Brown originally came in being told he was going to be Superman. Like he came in to read for Superman and it was like even a second run, like coming back. And then they were, had already seen Tim Daly and we're like, oh no, Tim Daly's the guy. And they were like, but have you considered reading for this guy? And he's like, oh, why do I always have to play villains? It it would have been perfect if if that was Michael Ironside. They could have redone his quote from Starship Troopers. (laughs) You're Superman until we find someone better. Right. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Well, we're going to move on to a new thing with superman that's the injustice uh the dc adult animated superhero film from their big you know wb's big market for doing this they put out like one a month basically now of these things so they're trying to cover almost everything and i think we're sort of reaching a tipping point where i go why don't y'all just do mini series of these things because injustice in particular this is like, I think somebody said it's like 30% of the actual book that it's from is actually in this movie adaptation. You know, because originally it's from a video game, yeah. whatever. But they wrote a, a very, very well-known... Yeah. Uh, yeah, people say very good. I don't play those games because they kill my hands. No, no, no. I, I hate the games because yeah. uh, oh, okay. I, I can't do fighting games. Yeah, they're too tough. I'm talking about the comic that they wrote yeah. based yeah, the on The comic that I've heard is very is good. It's legit. It's good. But it's super long. It's, yeah. And there's, and, and there's many of them now. There's like up to, I think, volume three or something, three I, or four. I, I only knew about volume two, but yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, uh, they've kept it going. Yeah, but the first volume, this is like maybe 30% of it is in this adaptation, which is like less than two hours. And yeah, it's a universe where the Joker comes to Metropolis, he kills Lois Lane, and then Superman goes, well, why am I being a hero then? I decide I'm going to take over the world and be a a Nazi. And that's exhausting to me every single time. I'm like, come on. Like, stop. I just don't believe the same Superman in all these other stories would ever, no matter who died, would do that. I I just don't believe it. You're about to turn around and say how much you like this? Uh, I didn't dislike it Uh, i i did genuinely enjoy this after a point it just is so exhausting getting past that initial point of like bullshit i don't believe it even though they set up early on this is not the problem i get earth one right this is decidedly one in fact part of the plot later on is tying all that together which i I, break you know i mean i like the way this resolved i like that plastic man who's not apparently in part of the comic run is a big part of this that they added and i was like i love i fucking love plastic man he's the best he's the goofy character i really like and he's the replacement for the flash only being in this for like 30 seconds which is necessary to get rid of the flash because it wouldn't have because yeah because you he's got a power that would have like easily fixed the problem and you're like okay well you got to get rid of him immediately yes it's grim dark and super violent but what i liked about this was it did also kind of had a heart it had a lot of these characters who were discussing things in ways i was like well that's reasonable i kept going waiting to be mad and getting less and less mad as i was watching it and going i don't know by the end i i was kind of like Let's presume that whatever it is that made Superman decide that I'm going to take over the Earth and slowly become more and more corrupt until he's an evil dictator. Like, what, maybe it was red kryptonite. Whatever. Doesn't yeah. matter. Like, how would the other heroes deal with this impossible situation? And I, on that level, I was kind of with it. So, I really disliked this movie. So you said, yeah. Uh, I don't hate it, but, like, it's close. 
the thing is though is that it's not really about it's none of the storytelling turns like i i hate evil superman but i can deal with it because i do think the idea of how do people respond to that is interesting the problem i had is that even though i've only read about half of volume one uh i can tell you that this is like the david lynch dune equivalent of adapting that story <laughs> yeah. where they've taken like the all right we got 12 hours of content and we're gonna put it into an hour and a half which sometimes is, a good, sometimes is a good thing like flashpoint like was 12 hours of content but about a half, about an hour of that is worth telling. And that's what they're like, fine, we'll cut this so, down to like an hour and 20 minutes. Like as they dug into the story, there were so many things that happened where I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then instead of taking a moment to be able to breathe and go like, holy shit, uh, they just incinerated the Adam. Was that the Adam who got died? Like, in, well, I mean, almost of... everybody died. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like, like, holy shit, like this character who was trying to do this really selfless thing just got dissolved and nobody commented on it. Right. And like that kind of thing kept happening where it was just, you could feel them going, okay, shit, we did the thing. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's I move know, to but, the next point. But I took it as and like, so, they're in the middle of all the shit. It would be like, it's World War II and a soldier goes, Wait, wait, hold on. Time out. It's not time that. out. Joe just got killed. Can we all take a second and talk about how nice Joe but, was? But a lot of the character <laughs> turns ended up not working for me because yeah. of that. Namely Superman. Like his. Okay. I didn't really like any moment of Superman. I remember messaging you that like even the first 30 seconds of this movie, I was when Superman finds out he had a kid. I was like, that is not real. That is not the reaction I would have expected that time. That just doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, and I kept feeling that. And so every time it would be like, Oh shit. Like, is this happening? Are these characters making these decisions? It would be like, I don't know. Cause I don't care about any of you. What's interesting to me, one of the interesting choices I thought they did is they cast way off the, the, um, reservation. And that was very on purpose because they want to be clear. These are not those characters. Yeah. You know, these are different characters, which by the, in the third act, they strongly say these are not the characters in that universe. This is a completely different meta universe of that. Like Anson Mount plays Batman. Justin Hartley is Superman. You know, I mean, like uh, pretty much everybody here is people who've not voiced those characters yeah. before. And I like that quality. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying i just like i think early on i was like i came in ready to dislike this and by the end it had kind of won yeah. me over I, I, so. I, I wish i could have been like that i think this was a good story poorly told no fair and enough. that was really and i've not read the me. source material so I, I didn't have that going on for me either like i'm waiting for them to finally get the balls to do blackest night and then i'll probably hate it because i think that's the best of all the big dc crossover events and i'm sure that they'll just completely put their dick in the dirt and dirt and fuck up everything i loved about it. i will say no bullshit your miniseries idea is great they have the platform and they've already started doing short seasons mm -hmm. with uh Young Justice, which is a phenomenal show. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a series of miniseries. If you want to do and like runs in comics, yes. then just do it that way. Get, give us a little where it's like anywhere between four to eight episodes of yeah. of animated runs of these. So you've got enough time to properly flesh out and tell these stories. Mm -hmm. You know, do that. They don't have to come out once a month. Yeah. Give me, give me <laughs> a 12 episode uh injustice that tells the same story but lets it breathe a bit mm. and then be like we're done 
Yeah. Maybe we'll do a volume two in a few years, maybe. Yeah, I think they need to get away from the idea that all these adaptations need to be like under two hours. I don't know how they've gotten this stuck in their head when their big success came from stuff like Batman, the animated series and Superman, the animated series and Justice League. You know, I mean, you're like, who convinced sold you guys on? No, it's better to just do hour and a half movies. Here's my hope is that Disney has gone there and gone. Okay, look, sons of bitches, we're doing seven episode seasons and there's not going to be a sequel. It's right. just done. Or we might do a second season. Right. Maybe. And it's worked and they've told good stories and people have responded. And now we have Peacemaker coming out. I'm, I'm hoping that DC is going to kind of go, holy shit, we have this platform and we can do weird shit with it. Let's yeah. lean in. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they don't have to be 12 episodes. Do ones where you're like, yeah, I'm going to do like one of the runs that people liked recently from Batman or a classic run. And it might only take four episodes. Episodes. It might yeah. be like, okay, so it was like four hour long, a four hour long thing. You watch in four episodes that you re- release weekly. You're like, this is the type of thing that will make people go, I've got to have that service. Yeah. Have them be wildly different in style yeah. and just like just go with it. Make them their yeah. own. Anyway, so uh, the bonus features here is Adventures in Storytelling and Justice Crisis in Comics, which I enjoyed. It's about 31 minutes of watching the core creative crew talk about why they made the decisions they made. And I, I think a lot of this was like, oh, this stuff confused me. I was like, okay, that made stuff more clear why you made the choices you did. Uh, there, And then the rest of this is just you know, previous stuff. There's like Injustice for All Part 1 and Part 2, uh, w- which are from uh, old Justice League episodes. And then there's Rain- um, uh, DC Universe Movies Flashback, which are sneak peek fe- featurettes for Reign of the Superman and Death of Superman, which are like, I don't... This is one of these like no bonus features. I was like, usually they're like, they just recently did year one and they reissued on 4K. But the advantage there was that, oh, there's a brand new bonus feature it wouldn't on the previous one, which was a Catwoman short, right? Cool. Good reason to upgrade. Here, this is the 4K. I mean, yeah. What are you waiting for? What else is there? Yeah. There's like, maybe they just weren't confident in this at all and went like, well, whatever. Well, they've been getting a little more bare bones with their releases too. Yeah. So. They have been not spending as much time on that. Well, we're going to move away from superheroes and move into getting super high. I mean, we're not going to get high on the set here, but we're going to talk about animated that super high <laughs> characters with the 1972 film Fritz the Cat now out from Kino on Blu-ray. <sighs> so full confession, I thought I had seen this. And when I like years ago, as I started watching, I started realizing, no, I've seen bits of it in documentaries about animation and stuff about Bakshi, the the animator director, but I never actually watched Fritz the Cat. And Fritz the Cat is infamous because, you know, I mean, X-rated animated it's an movie. X-rated cartoon at the time when that didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. I was two years old when this came out. And this is like it was based on a <laughs> uh, on a Robert Crumb car, uh, running comic strip. And that was very, very popular. And Bakshi was like, I got to do this. Chrome was kind of the number one alternative artist. Bakshi was kind of the number one alternative animator. And they were like, wow, it's going to be Team Supreme. And then they ended up just fucking hating each other. Like to the point where like they were both like, fuck that guy, fuck that guy. And like still were like. Knowing the personalities that those two are famous for, that does not surprise me at all. They're both really fucked up people. But but, like in different (laughs) ways where you would have thought they were fucked up in the same way, but no. So this story is, it's not really a story. I want to see you try to explain this. It's not really a story. It doesn't have much of a plot. It's the 1960s and they're all, it's all anthropomorphized like animal characters. The first one has a plot. It's just a shitty plot. It's just not much of one, really. Um, But Fritz is the cat, and he and his friends are hippies that play in, like, Washington Square Park, you know, instruments and try and pick up chicks. 
Uh, and you know, the whole thing is basically trying to like hook up with chicks and get high and get weed and drugs and things like that. And, uh, they end up having like, Fritz gets in trouble with the police who are, who are of course portrayed as pigs. And, uh, after an, literally an orgy in a bathtub with animated cartoon characters. I mean, I'm not, you can't make this up. That happens on screen in this animated film. And he hides in a synagogue where also, for some reason, the Jewish people are pigs, which is strange because I, I thought it was kind of insulting. They were, well, there were some of them were, they were like, sh- uh, I don't know. But Ralph actually himself like is shrews. Jewish, but it was they, they, kind they of were like, shrews or weevils. They were some kind of a rodent. Bashki himself animal. is Jewish, but it felt kind of anti Semitic. Am I wrong? Well, no, uh, you are not. Wrong. Okay, but that's not even the beginning of like the weird, like, what the fuck shit in here? Like, black people are presented as crows, and it's pretty goddamn so like right. racist despite the fact at the time it wasn't looked at being that way all right Here, here's this movie in a nutshell <laughs> help the, i'm in a nutshell <laughs> this movie is about uh middle class white <laughs> liberal educated kids chasing pussy at a fun time and he gets led down this path of left-wing politics, first with the women he meets who has the orgy with, and then he falls in with uh, a black crow who he hangs out with for a while. Uh, and like he keeps trying to go, no, no, no. I'm left wing just like you. I, I'm just like you. You know, like I see your pain. Yeah, eventually, and, and ends he, up dealing with Nazi bikers. He, he, and he shit. follows this down until he gets to the socialist Nazis who are bombing um, oil production. I should say national socialist zombies. Yeah. <laughs> there is a huge difference. True, <laughs> um, but uh, very true. That's, that's yeah. very true. Let's not confuse anyone out there. Uh, oh, this has nothing to do with actual socialism. Yeah. I'll get into that. Uh, but, uh, like, it, it's the story of him following his left wing bourgeoisie ideals and leading to an ever, ever darker and darker path with rape, with drugs, with sex, yeah. which some of that's fun. Some of that's very not fun. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, like, ultimately, like, where he's just destroyed his life and the community. There's race roars going down and all of this over, like, this shitty little cat character. Yeah. And so, all right, here's the issue with the movie is that with all of that going on, it has a bunch of people who are aggressively trying to send a message, but the problem is that they couch that message and language that is in of itself horribly offensive and racist. Yeah. And so it's, it's going like, look, doesn't this suck for black people while also being incredibly offensive and racist towards black people? Yeah. Doesn't it suck to be a Jewish person while being incredibly offensive towards the Jewish doesn't people? Doesn't it suck to be a woman and, and, and being the, incredibly misogynist? And, and <laughs> ultimately trying to, it feels like it was trying to make a movie that shows the plight of the average person and ends up making a right-wing fantasy about why you don't want to be a liberal yeah yeah and completely like, that's right exactly yeah and what like might and my, also re- reminds just, me of that that like that point where like the hippie so-called revolution just collapsed in on itself when it was yeah. like well but all this is hollow y'all don't have a plan ultimately you're like yeah yeah of course nobody wants to, us to die and go to war and we want peace and love and all that but you have no plan and you're just getting high and fucking yeah and so of course it collapsed in on itself and, and nasty elements like you know people doing heroin and hell's angels and fucking uh, nazis were able to sort of easily walk right into the middle of all this and basically make it take it over for crime okay and that's kind of what this is about but it's 
it's ugly and unpleasant. Well, and, I mean, there's like physical, there's like rape on screen in here and like b- brutal abuse of a woman on screen and just like really terrible shit. I'm like, I re- go back to the reviews. People are like, oh, it's so shocking, but that's what makes it funny. I'm like, I feel like it's because there was so much less animation then and that they just couldn't take it seriously at all. That they were like, it's because it's animated oh. that, I, that all of this just seems absurd and funny. It- and I think now we're so used to animation that I'm like, have y'all even seen Watership Dan? <laughs> I, I think it's also it's a it's a sign of privilege where like you yeah. have people watching this, like it's like me as a white middle aged guy watching this and going, wow, that's so nuanced because they did this. Whereas whereas anybody who has experienced any of that would be like, no, that is fucking horrible and offensive. Yeah, I, and like the thing is, there are sections of this movie, and this is my issue with Bakshi as a whole, is that there are sections that are really visually creative and they're yeah. brilliant. We're kind of groundbreaking the, for their time. In the animation. story that it's wrapped in is yeah. ugly, vile, nasty. Yeah. I, I agree. And I not am, in the fun way. And I tend to feel that way about a lot of Bakshi's work yeah. as well. I mean, I, I think you have to be of a certain generation to really, yeah. really love his stuff and grown up with it to appreciate it. Cause for me, who's like my few earlier experiences watching stuff, I'm always like, Ooh, feel kind of that way about almost everything except wizards yeah, I, from I, him. And then watching this for the first time, I'm like, yeah, this is, I don't know who was having fun with this. I feel like watching this for us is like someone in another 10 years watching old South Park episodes. Yeah. Probably without so. the context of the time where it's like, that's actually really horrible if you just at, think about it at all beyond sure. the moment you experience. The mores it. definitely change fast quickly, yeah. you know, and like it's they looking back at things, especially comedy dealing with old mores is it's almost like, hard to find anything that still works, you know? So. Can, can we talk about the sequel really quick, too? Well, because- let me just say real quick that this comes with a commentary with the artist Stephen Bissett and historian uh, G. Michael Dobbs. There's a radio spot and a theatrical trailer, and that is it. But as he said, we are also reviewing the sequel, which also came out from Kino, The Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat, which Bakshi backed away from, said, I, no, I don't want to do that. But they got they had more money because unexpectedly, the first one was a monster hit for them, like a huge success in theaters and like internationally. And they were like, well, fuck you then. We're just going to do it. They got this guy, Robert Taylor, who is a Emmy, uh, Emmy award winning animator, writer, producer, and film director with a lot more money. So admittedly points of it, it looks really backshish. It uses a lot of the same techniques. I actually had no idea he wasn't involved. Yeah. I mean, it looks just like it in many ways, except you can tell there's more experimentation going on, but that's partially because there's zero story here. Yeah. It, it's the same thing, same offensiveness, just they don't really have a thread. Yeah. Instead, Fritz is now a horrible, shitty, deadbeat husband with yeah. a wife who hates him and a crying baby. Yeah, he's just getting high. so he high. just checks out. He's and... getting high while she's yelling at him. And each it's like nine sequences that each one is a dream he's having while he's high yeah. and ignoring her about weird, crazy shit where he dies at the end of it. I will one. say that, that the commentary you mentioned on the last one, mm-hmm. it's actually a good commentary because oh, it's you not to people it. okay. involved. With, I will listen to parts of it. I listen to it's not the people involved in the making of the movie. Instead, it's film historians who are like look we want to make sure like film has a memory and it exists and let's talk about the culture of when this was made sure, of course what sets this apart and that's the thing both of these movies like like my dad likes fritz the cat oh, no. yeah and, and i don't fault him for it because if you don't 
if you're looking at it from the context of when it came out, sure. a lot of this is less intense. Yeah. And the animation is really interesting. I can see just getting blitzed high yeah. and watching this movie and not thinking about the story and just going with the visuals. I mean, that's what the second one, the yeah. Nine Lives, is. was. I mean, they even said, we specifically made this in mind for people with really short attention spans who were super high. Yeah. Like, we were like, oh, the first one was, like, popular. Let's try and focus even more on that stoner crowd. And that's what this is. I mean, it's a lot more just long, extensive, trippy visuals where nothing really relevant is happening, of mixing live-action stuff with animation on top mm-hmm. of it. Like, these stories that are just addressing aspects of the 60s counterculture, hey. but don't really have a plot in and of themselves like at one point he's like working for hitler for no particular Damn it, i was about reason. to talk about hitler's oh. one ball sorry yeah you keep trying to make fetch happen <laughs> <laughs> no like it, here's the thing if you're at this point you either haven't heard of bakshi in which case if you want to try some of his work try wizards try try not this for your first exposure to him yeah this is this um, is a tough sell and if you don't like Bakshi, run the fuck away from these titles. And if you do like them, go with God and enjoy them and go buy some weed from your local dispensary <laughs> and have fun. I, I can't. I, 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 couldn't, I, hated them I couldn't recommend to anyone watching these films without being just spectacularly high. Yeah. Like, it's the only way you would want to watch these movies. Agreed. Because, like, there's just, I, I think any sort of, like, rationality you that you, as a normal thinking person, you bring to it is just going to hurt well, watching this part film. of me wants to say do mushrooms but at the same time i'm like you know what that might no, be too much that this is really much. this is really aggressive and that trip, might be a bad trip bad trip waiting to happen right there <laughs> we're gonna move on to a more uh recent release alexandra rockwell's film sweet thing which is out on blu-ray and dvd right now it's very much in the style of sort of sean baker's films like the florida project i would say or tangerine something like that we're actually reviewing his new one red rocket shortly on on a, a screen or squads i'm looking you know what this actually reminded me of this reminded me of a good version of that terry gilliam movie he made while shooting the brothers Grimm about the jeff where the girl whose dad ods oh yeah the first 10 minutes yeah but like because but this is like not told to like overwhelmingly visual metaphor the way that Gilliam film was where it was like even you watching it you're like I don't know what's going on but it's kind of unpleasant the imagery he's choosing to go with this this is like kind of a sweet black and white film uh, Quentin Tarantino actually described this as one of the most powerful new films I've seen in years and it won a bunch of awards uh, I knew almost nothing about this except I, I saw that it. it had won some awards I'm like sure I'll give it a try and it's you know a real family like the the two lead kids in this are the real kids of the director. Like, oh. those are actually his kids. Yeah, right? You're like, oh, that's that's that. kind of cool. Uh, and I forget, he'd done some, he had like an earlier part of his career that he did a bunch of stuff that was like really well known. And then he kind of retired for a bit. And then he came back and decided, I just want to do indie films now to do what I want. And this is one of those from from that period, of course. But like, following these kids... And their dad, played by the wonderful character actor, Will Patton. I love him so much. He's just the best. (sighs) But here he's like an alcoholic and he's that guy like, oh, when he's in his really in his cups, he's like unpredictable and even, you know, borderline violent. But 
you're always kind of on his rooting for him to get better well, because he, clearly he's a really sweet dad when he's not that guy. He he feels like the he feels like the alcoholics have known in real life. Mm. Where like yes, you can just say me. It's fine. You you are a good person <laughs> at your heart, and you can see that they're trying and that he's trying. But like he just he has this addiction that he just can't get past, and yeah. every time he gives in. It ruins everything. And it gets a, and things get a little bit worse each time. Yeah. You know, I mean, not to the point of like, you know, it gets right up on the edge of being really bad <laughs> before that he's like, okay, I, I do need help. And like they check it, the kids check him into a hospital. The problem is the only other person they have is their deadbeat mom who has run off with a real douchebag of a guy. And she wants, has largely has had as little to do with them as possible since then, even though the dad is still convinced she's going to come back at some point, but like, we'll go live with the mom and the stepdad guy or step boyfriend. And that doesn't work out very well, but they meet a young new, so. yeah, they meet a young new friend and they're like, fuck this, let's run away. And so the bulk of the movie is really kind of them running away and this little adventure that they're having. And it's, it's sweet. And I think if I have a problem with this film at all, it's just, I thought the end was a little, this is so like predictable and like, okay, like not even within this film for this type of film. I'm like, I didn't want that to be the end because I didn't feel there was any reason for that to be there. We didn't need that message in this film. You know, I liked this as sort of a sweet coming of age parable parable about difficult times for these kids. But then it's like, like I said, what it, where it went to is like, that's a cliche from a totally different movie. Well, why was that? Why is that here? It's one of those stories about trauma view through the eyes of a child mm-hmm. where you, you have to find levity in those situations. Uh, and like talking about the plot makes this seem like a super intense, dark, fucked up, horribly violent, nasty film. And it's not, um, it feels a lot more like something along with like eighth grade where you're always waiting for things to go horrible, but it's also really about how the two kids and then their friend managed to find moments of bright, joy in this life that should be dreary Mm -hmm. uh and like it's it is a really sweet movie but it's it is also predictable yeah that there is no turn that you aren't gonna guess 10 minutes before it happens like oh that guy's gonna do Uh, this and then they're gonna do this what helps is these kid actors are are just really naturalistically good it all has that italian neorealism but with sort of a modern faster movement to it and it's just shot so gorgeously it's yeah. like really really beautiful looking movie and i was with this all the way through i i was this is not normally my type of thing but i was like man i i largely dug this agreed I, yeah that, yeah it's the power of a story well told even if you know what's going to happen it still works and it still emotionally affects you big time so well, yeah. we're going to move back to Arrow, as as we do often on this we show, because we do. love Arrow, with their re-release of Deep Red. Now, look, this is the 4K re-release of Deep Red. We're not going to get super deep into this. This was the big release from Dario Argento, who was indeed a privileged son of people in the in the industry. So, like, he came out with a big budget because he had relatives that were like, hey, why don't you give my, let my kid do whatever the fuck he wants to? And no one expected this to be good. And holy shit, it was gigantic and changed the entire industry and changed the face of Giallo. And from that point on, he was like, I mean, he was the first of the Italian directors who would start putting his name above the title. Argento's 
like right after this. <laughs> yeah. It was such a big hit. And it is a solid murder mystery giallo with supernatural elements, which is a thing he uh, was very much responsible for bringing into this. But we have reviewed this on previous episodes of the movie itself. I mainly just wanted to talk about here that this, in fact, does, and this is a really rare for these 4K re-releases on Arrow, it has a shit ton of new bonus features, which I did not expect. Uh, like, yeah. what? Uh, usually it's like maybe it's, it's one Arrow. small thing. Yeah, but I mean, they'll put, they'll port all the other ones from the previous release, but rarely does an upgrade to 4K come with like eight new bonus features. Like, this is oh, true. And this, in this particular case... Not only does it port the old stuff, but it's got like a new hour long deep into the red, which is a 2018 interview with Argento and archival interview with his girlfriend. I think they were married, Daria Nicolodi, uh, uh, but who like was his writer. And many people have, have said that she actually wrote Suspiria entirely. We know she wrote at least parts of it. She and her people have always claimed, yeah, Argento wrote none of that. Yeah, it was all there, there is clearly a point where you recognize that he's writing the movies on his own. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very true. Uh, there's the Medium War Black, a 2018 interview with Macha Merrill. There's 16 Years in Red, 2018 interview with production manager. Death Dies, an interview with the composer, Claudio Simonetti. There's Carla Never Dies, interview with Gabrielle Lavia. I Am the Screaming Child, interview with Jacopo Mariani. Bloodstained, interview with Lino Capoliccio. And then there's uh, the U.S. trailer, which wasn't on the previous one, just the Italian one, which is here as well. There's a brand new commentary by Troy Howarth and Nathaniel Thompson. Uh, There's a brand new set of image galleries in here. Uh, This is a lot of extra new features for a film that you didn't really expect to be anything but like a double dip for people who were like, Oh, well, I guess I might as well go ahead and get the one I can watch on my 4k TV. Yeah. And it is a truly great Argento film. So I'm not going to comment on the movie too much. Cause we, we've, we've all probably seen it by now, but I will say <laughs> that the transfer is fantastic. It is amazing. And I forgot how great Dario Argento is at shooting close-ups. Oh yeah. This movie has maybe the third best close-ups I've ever seen in cinema behind like Silence of the Lambs and maybe some of the David Fincher work. Okay. They they have like a minute long close-up tracking shot that involves focus shifting, going between different objects, a person stepping into frame, and the camera's like an inch away from everything it's focusing on. It's my favorite close-up. Mm. And it's in 4K and it's pristine and you can see all the flaws. I love it. It's amazing. Uh, this also does come with a lot of physical stuff as well. I just want to say it's like a double-sided poster uh, with original newly commissioned artwork by Obviously Creative and six double-sided postcard-sized lobby card reproduction art cards. So, I mean, this is – if you don't have this already, this is the one to get, clearly. I mean, like, assuming you have a 4K setup and maybe just go ahead and get it anyway, assuming that you will at some point because if you're the sort of person who really loves Deep Red enough to, to buy the best version of it, you're probably yeah. – you're almost certainly the same sort of person who is, like, saving up to get a 4K if you don't already have <laughs> Have one. So, yeah, this is well worth your time. Then, as well, Arrow is putting out the 4K uh, and the less necessary 4K of the uh, West Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. This also, <laughs> a couple years ago, they put out a really upgraded Blu ray version of it. And it was the first time I had seen it in a while when I watched that one. I was like, once again, West Craven's earliest work, anything Craven did before Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm like, I can respect its place in horror history, but I don't like it. God, same. Yeah. Same. Like, I I really do respect the vibe he get he does, and I get why it was groundbreaking. The transfer is great, but 
all of his movies from this era just feel kind of dirty. Yeah. And like, I mean, they go for the, they they were definitely more influenced by Texas Chainsaw Massacre than they were yeah. by anything else. Like last house on the left and this actually that might even predate Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I can't I think remember, but they're both like that grim, dirtiest, darkest, grossest, like, okay. I mean, this is basically grind core, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and they're not wildly pleasant to watch. Now Hills have eyes is definitely less unpleasant than last house on the left, which was at that point considered to be one of the ugliest films ever made. You know, it really, yeah. I mean, I get it. I've watched it a couple times now. I can appreciate it better yeah, now that made, I've you made me watch n- it. Now that I've seen <laughs> the film, it's that. a remake of. <laughs> I was like, okay, I kind of get where he was going with it more. But anyway, Hills of Eyes, not a remake of anything. Just a family who's out in the desert. Uh, most uh, notably, D. Wallace, who went on to bigger fame, especially in horror films, but yeah. also in E.T. Uh, also, Red Christmas, my most hated movie. Yeah, digital pff, yeah it's a bad movie. <laughs> uh, but they're a suburban family in an RV, and they get attacked by a bunch of cannibalistic, savage people who live out in the Nevada desert after they get stranded. And then, shocking enough to the cannibalistic family, this family actually figures out relatively quickly how to fight back and yeah. do it pretty well. And that aspect of it I like, you know, but I think this is ultimately, I mean, it just doesn't look very good. It's corny. The effects aren't real great. Um, I like Michael Berryman, but he actually doesn't get to do as much cool stuff until the second one, which is even dumber, but at least she gets more cool moments in it. I mean, this is okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's... Like, like we said, we can see why it broke ground when it came out, but, and the transfer is great. Yeah. I mean, as good as you can do with like actors do a good job with it. There are interesting turns. It's just that it, it's just okay. And also, frankly, it's one of those movies where there's been a remake and I kind of think the remake did everything better. (laughs) The Platinum Dunes remake he's talking about that I remember hating, but I haven't seen it since it came out. So, and so like, it's, I don't really like this this, one either. So it's, it's, it's the reverse where I was watching this and I kept going like, well, I kind of wish they did this other thing instead. (laughs) It was cooler a few years ago. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, like I, I, anybody who really likes this film, I'm like, okay, sure. Like, I, I, get, I love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I love Halloween and I get why some people are like, no, nah, I don't see what you like about this. I'm like, you know, it's one of those films, like both those films, I didn't really fall in love with till I'd seen a couple times and like gradually kind of got what, what makes them special. Maybe this is one of those films if I saw it two or three more times, I might feel, feel that way. I don't so far, but there's a uh, hour long retrospective called looking back on the Hills have eyes with interviews with Wes Craven, Peter Locke, Michael Berryman, Janice Blythe, Robert Houston, Susan Lanier, D Wallace and Eric Sarian family business an interview with Martin Spear, the desert sessions, an interview with the composer. Uh, There's an alternate ending, which is barely an alternate ending at all. Uh, and sorry, and there's uh, almost 20 minutes of outtakes, which is a weird thing to even have on here, which is yeah. literally just what you expect. Like, oh, I fucked up that shot. Like, there's a scene where Dee Wallace and her boyfriend are having sex in a car, and she keeps banging her head really hard on the ceiling. <laughs> and go, and she's like, how the fuck are we supposed to do this? <laughs> uh, and there's audio, three audio commentaries, trailers, TV spots, stuff like that. But were you trying... He, Aaron's dying to say something. I'm not... I was going to wait till the end so you could edit it out if you wanted to. Okay. Point of clarification. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes remake was a Fox Searchlight Pictures, not Platinum Dunes. Oh, okay. Because Platinum Dunes has only made 
two good horror movies, and they were the original Texas Chainsaw and the Friday the 13th remakes. Okay. I I, fa- I remember, I, I know I love that Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which I did not expect to, but I thought it was genuinely good. Yeah. Uh, and the, I remember I really liked the, the um, uh, Friday the 13th, and then everybody told me I was dumb and for liking yeah. it. Friday the 13th like, is I haven't good. watched it since. Everything else that company ever made is bad, and you need to rewatch The Hills Have Eyes 2006. All right. Well, maybe I will then. Maybe I will. I'm not committing. Throw it down. Damn, that gauntlet is on the floor. Yeah. Slap me in the face with it. Ow, I got chainmail burn. <laughs> anyway, our last thing we're talking about is just a, a set, which is the new Mad Max anthology on 4K Ultra HD. You know, that's great. We all love these movies. I mean, you've got Mad Max, the original, which was just re-released on 4K recently. You've got The Road Warrior and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and this is the first time both of those have been on 4K. So that's like, all right, so this is a reason to get this set alone. And then there's Fury Road, which, of course, has been out on 4K before. And, you know, gathered together in one slim box, which is like, okay, I I prefer that myself. I don't like the super extravagant packaging unless it's for something that – Unless they're really doing it up like super yeah. cool, but like I'd rather have a slim box where it slip fits nicely on my shelf, but I can access and watch the movies whenever I want. And that's basically what this is. And God knows I shouldn't. I, I, do I? I don't need to explain to you guys what the Mad Max series is, right? I mean, I, like, is there anyone who listens so. to this who doesn't know what the? I mean, we just reviewed the the previous 4K of the first movie, which is probably the one people are the most. I don't really. What's that one about, really? And that one's the one that's like. Well, that, that's the one that's like legit. Like, it's like the world and civilization still exists. Yeah, it's and, the and one is, where it's he's kind of, a cop and yeah. his family gets killed. And Toe Cutter, who was also the villain in Fury Road. Or the same actor. Uh, same yeah. Actor. Is like the roving biker gang lead who killed his family. And it's just. It's a nasty little low budget kind of slow still working out the kinks of their right. creative energies including actual kinks. film including yeah. a lot of actual kink yeah a lot of assless chaps and, and like and leather and shit of the mad max movies it kind of is my least favorite yeah because again i, I think it's great working it out i think it's great but it's the one that doesn't really tonally work with the rest of them because the rest of them are straight up post-apocalyptic fantasy films with a messiah complex this one is not this one is like more in common with like something like the hills of eyes or texas chates on mask or quite frankly you know and i i think it's great but like and they're all i mean the first three are mel gibson as mad max and obviously the last one is tom hardy as mad max although i'm still mad because they never even say his name until almost a third act of the film and I kept waiting for them to like finally do it and reveal that he's not even Max. He's some other guy. And that like, uh, the Charlie Theron's <laughs> characters, her real name is Maxine. Well, and they'd be like, Oh, she's actually, that would have been like the only thing they could have done better for me. If it turns out she was Mad Max the whole time. You know what? If, uh, if George Miller ever works out the legal wrangling and fuckery around Fury Road, we'll get a Furiosa movie, maybe. So yeah. Well, I mean, no, that's happening. Uh, is it done? On like, t- like, well, I mean, they're in the... I, I meant the... Because last I heard, they were still in back and forth, you owe me more money. No, I'm hearing it's 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 actively moving <gasps> forward with Anya Taylor-Joy playing the young uh, oh, Furiosa. I'm gonna cry. Yeah, I mean, and you can put Anya Taylor-Joy in anything, and I'm gonna it's watch so it. It's so weird yeah. that, that I'm at a point in my life where two of the directors that I'm most excited for their work, good or bad, are like 70 to 80-year-old men. <laughs> 
I mean, that gets to be normal after a while. Because, like, Ridley Scott and George Miller put out such uh, weird shit that even if it's bad, I'm like, me. this is so fucking weird. I'm You do you, I mean, you old man. George Miller interests me, and I would love to see him follow up on this. I certainly haven't liked everything he's done, but I mean, I love his Mad Max films. I can't take I I've watched two Ridley Scott films this year and they were both terrible and I'm like no no I mean I like I can't when was the last, the last good Ridley Scott movie was The Martian and the last one before that was what Kingdom of Heaven I mean come on I mean I so I I just recently took a deep dive started started my deep dive into Ridley Scott movies that I either haven't seen or haven't seen in forever and I started with Exodus the 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 most horribly cast movie, or it's the movie with the most inappropriately stacked cast I've ever seen. Cause every single person with a spoken line of dialogue is a white character actor or a very big star, but I kind of enjoyed it for how bad it was. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I, I'm excited to watch house of Gucci and all the money oh, in the world. They've got to be terrible. I, I mean, I, I'm excited for it. I, I, I can't I, help it. I not for me. Not a fan. I, I definitely prefer the. I'm not going to go so far as young. I think the most exciting filmmakers tend to be guys. You're like, oh, this exciting new filmmaker, and they're like 45 because hey, like, <laughs> they've and, been doing this for a I'll, while. I'll admit, I, I'm also the fucked up weirdo who really enjoys both Prometheus and Covenant. Yeah, that is a fucked up weirdo yeah, thing. Yeah, and you I, should no, seek professional I'm, help. I like I like people who make big choices. Uh, that those it's are some <laughs> choices. Those are definitely choices those movies made. Now I tend to be more like. But like right now, I'm like Mike Flanagan or Timo Chianto or people like that, or people who I'm like, those are the most interesting directors working. Mike Flanagan is give the best a fuck guy working Rid- in horror. I don't give a fuck what Ridley Scott's doing anymore. Okay, fair. <laughs> Whatever. Fair. Anyway, back to this, and then we'll finish up. Uh, like we said, two redips of 4Ks, two brand new ones. They are nice remixes, although there's almost no extras here. There's an intro by Leonard Malton. And an archival commentary track on The Road Warrior from George Miller and cinematographer Dean Semler. And uh, none of the extras that were on Shout Factory's 2015 release of The Road Warrior, which is weird. Which is kind of a crime. All of these movies are cultural touchstone movies. They should have stuff about them. Like, there's no reason to put out a collected box set of the Mad Max franchise without putting legit behind the scenes and background material on there. I mean, because this is just what they do. Like, well, we finished the math remasters, so let's just go ahead and shit this out now as a set and make money in the Christmas season. And then a year from now, we'll redo it, but now it's going to come with, like, collectible lobby postcards and a bunch of bonus features and shit you yeah, know i mean that's you, the lord way the, the that's the way the business <laughs> de- that's the way this business works yeah i mean like the, we just talked on the last show lord of the rings set was like oh well it's pretty cool physically and it's got lots of cool new physical media and it's a new set and it's the best possible versions on 4k but we cut out all of the appendices all of them got rid of like what nine hours of, of, of bonus features that were some of the best bonus features made for any movie ever made sure who will be upset don't worry, we'll re-release it next year. <laughs> uh, oh, exhausting, I swear to God. Anyway, uh, that is it for this week's Digital Noise, except for one thing. What? Oh, oh. What's the oh. pick of the week? We got to decide what that is. I mean, I, I have my own ideas, but I'm curious to know what you think. Honestly? Yeah. Suicide Squad. 
You think the Suicide Squad is the best one? It's got a huge collection of great bonus features. I think, like, there were some great sets Mm -hmm. that were put out, Mm -hmm. but as far as quality of the film, combined with quality of the sets, yeah, Suicide Squad for me. I I can't argue with that. I mean, it's the type of release you expect most of the extra features will be like, eh, I mean, whatever. I'm glad there's a few there, but they're all EPKs to, wait, no, they actually spent some time and effort making this bonus set, the, the set of extra features here are great like, and this movie looks terrific it, on 4k it, and here's what it is like I, i've thought about yakai war because that's a great set sure that would have been my my and, other and, choice and i thought about like deep red because mm. that's also a really good set yeah. but the thing is is both of those are like niche yeah you got to be into that shit to be into that yeah, i don't or, mind it being whereas like suicide squad i think is something that appeal as long as you can handle you're like, literally the exact violence. opposite of john golson who will like, <laughs> never pick the thing that's more accessible he'll always be like he'll pick the most of obscure thing that is good because he's like but more people need to know about this you know what i like about it though is it brings more people to that kind of stuff yeah because if you can like it's it's a way that you can introduce someone to some of the more dark fucked up stories that are out there but it's also funny as shit and crowd pleasing and will make you tear up a little bit if you have a heart and so it has enough there for your average person so like suicide squad i think is going to become a great gateway drug into genre cinema over the years maybe so Well, that is it. Thank you, Aaron, for joining me. And I'll be back soon with, I believe, the next episode is John Golson coming back for more Digital Noise. Talking about dark, fucked up stuff that needs some more attention? Probably. (laughs) Probably.